Father, thank you for this opportunity to hear your word and to think about what it means for us. And Lord, we do ask that you would speak to us this evening, that you would show us what it is about your son Jesus you want us to see and enable us to respond with faith. We pray this in his name. Amen. Thanks, Meg. Tonight's reading is from Mark 1, starting at verse 14 and going through to verse 39. And it's on page 990. Mark 1, verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went into Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the house of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Well, hi. I'm Andrew. Uh, Not Andrew Errington who's one of the ministers of this church, another Andrew. Uh, You heard about me in Mark tonight. Uh, You might be more familiar, though, with my brother Simon, Simon Peter. He's a bit of a hit in churches, actually. Uh, Me, I'm not so popular, except in Scotland. They love me in Scotland. I'm here tonight, though, to tell you about when I first met Jesus. Well, it it actually wasn't exactly the first time. Uh, We had actually met him 
a little before and got to know him a little bit already, and you can read about that in John's Gospel if you want to. But what I want to tell you about is how it all kicked off, how it all got started, because it was the most incredible thing. And it it just changed my life completely, and I've never looked back. It was after John the Baptist was arrested. Now, John, he was a remarkable man, can I just say. He was so charismatic, so powerful. He never held back from telling the truth, you know. He just told it how it was, no matter who he offended. But he wasn't a jerk. He, he just knew. He knew that God was real and that God was doing something and that it mattered and that things were moving. They were underway. I believed him, definitely. And so when he told us to keep our eye on Jesus, well, we listened. Anyway, John got into trouble. Eventually, the powers that be had had enough, and they locked him up. No surprise, really, uh, but that's a story for another time. You'll get to it. But John's arrest seems to have been the trigger for Jesus. Suddenly, we started hearing that he was in Galilee and that he was preaching He was proclaiming a message to everyone who would hear, and it was a simple message, but to be honest, I can't imagine anything more profound. He said, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, you guys live in a very different time to us, so let me tell you a little of what it was like for a Jew like me to hear that way back in Roman times. This was the kind of message that set your hairs on end. It was the kind of thing that unless you absolutely knew it was true, you should be killed for saying it. Because what it meant was that the story, the story of my people, Israel, which was such a tragedy and so many people had thought it just was all over, the story had been taken up again and not just taken up, But brought to its climax, it's not over, Jesus was saying. It's only just beginning. God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of David and the Exodus and Isaiah, he is doing something. He's coming. This is it. This is what the prophets have been talking about. This is what all history has been leading up to. It was the kind of message you just couldn't muck around with. If it was true, it it meant everything. If it wasn't true, you lost everything. Well, you can understand why we got talking. Simon was all blab, 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 blab. Me, I'm, I'm a little bit quieter. But, you know, we couldn't help thinking about it. And then one day, we were down by Lake Galilee. It's sometimes called a sea. Uh, and it is pretty big, but it's an inland sea. Uh, it's beautiful. I've fished it all my life. Uh, and we were down by the lake casting nets. I don't know if you still have them anymore. They're circular throw nets. We sometimes go out in the boat, but often we can just pick something up by the shore, especially bait fish. But anyway, you haven't come to hear about fishing. Well, actually, some of you may have, but I'm not going to talk about fishing. I'm going to talk about Jesus. We were down by the lake when Jesus came by. And we saw him walking along, and, and he saw us, Simon and I, that is, And he looked at us and then he said something that I will never forget. He said, come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. I didn't 
really understand what he meant. But, you know, it didn't matter that much. I mean, in hindsight, I guess I, I didn't have to say yes. I wasn't forced. I didn't have to do it, but we did. We went. We just left the nets where they were. Everything in me just said, yeah, that is what I want. I'm, I'm with him. And I knew I just had to go right away. So off we went, but actually not very far at first because we just went round the bay to where James and John were with their father Zebedee. Funny fellas. Um, they were mending the nets. Now that is a dog of a job, but I don't think that's why they left it. Jesus called them like he called us, and I saw the same look in their face that I must have had. And they left their father and came with us. Now, that's not a small thing, by the way. We're pretty big on family. Even I was pretty shocked by that. They just left him there. But they left everything. They, they followed. Well, let me tell you, that's where the, left, the rest of my life began, right there. There are so many things I could tell you about, but I want to just focus on the, thing, the big thing that happened next. So let me just tell you about that. We went to Capernaum. Uh, do you know Capernaum? I don't know if you do. Uh, it's, it's where I live then, me and Simon. It's a reasonable-sized town uh, on the northwest side of the lake, uh, mainly a fishing town. Come to think of it, there's not actually much to say about Capernaum. Uh, it's got a centurion and a tax booth. Anyway, uh, it's also got a synagogue, and that's where we went. On the Sabbath, we went into the synagogue, and after the usual proceedings, Jesus began teaching. Now, I've heard a few sermons, but let me tell you, this one was impressive. A and not just in a clever, creative way, like somebody having a go at first-person narration or something. <laughs> <laughs> now, this was impressive. This was impressive. Sorry, I had to do that. <laughs> this was impressive. Because people just got the feeling. You just got the feeling, and it's... It stayed with you. You couldn't shake it that this guy knew what he was talking about. He wasn't guessing. The people around us felt it too, and they put their finger on it when they said that this was teaching with authority. And that made us realize how rarely we actually heard anything like this. Maybe never, actually. Better than the scribes, people kind of muttered out of the corners of their mouths. But just then, in the middle of what he was saying, there was this guy suddenly in the synagogue shouting. I don't know how he got there, but suddenly he was there and he was not okay. He had what we call an unclean spirit. Uh, you may not know what this is like, but we do. And let me tell you, it is awful and scary and horrible. And he was shouting really violently, what have you on with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I mean, I don't know how to describe to you the tension and shock of this moment. It was really full on. It was really loud and kind of scary. Suddenly you could kind of cut the air with a knife. And we could hardly wrap our minds around what he'd said either. I mean, who was this us? He was talking about us. Did he mean the demons? 
Had Jesus come to destroy the demons? What could he see that we couldn't? And, and the thing he said about Jesus, the Holy One of God. I mean, that's not, that's not a minor title to give someone, you know. What did that mean? Now, I'm saying all this as if, you know, I had time to stop and think about it. But really, this is all afterwards, in retrospect. Because in the moment, Jesus just shot back straight away. Be quiet. As if he was just talking to a dog. Come out of him. You know, for a second, I wished he hadn't said that. Because what if it didn't work? It was very tense. You know, what if the guy just kind of left and it was awkward and we're kind of thinking, what, what happened there? But instead, the guy started shaking, really shaking. And then he shouted again, but not words, just like a, a shriek. And then suddenly the spirit, whatever it was, was gone and the man was fine. And there was silence. Well, actually, the silence lasted for a split second because then the room was just buzzing. And everybody was talking and they were just, what, what is this? People say, what, what is going on here? A new teaching, they said, and with authority like we've never seen. He even commands the unclean spirits and they do what he says. It was bedlam. People started rushing round and they rushed out and started telling everybody. And that wasn't the end of it. We managed to get out. And as soon as we could, we went straight to Simon and my house. As I said, we live in Capernaum. We had a hundred things to talk about, as you can imagine. But somehow, Simon, uh, Jesus, Jesus got told about Simon's mother-in-law, his wife's mum, who was there at the time but sick in bed with a fever. Now, fever, you know, probably not that big a deal for you guys with your antibiotics and sanitation and so on. But in our day, fevers were not good, especially for old folks. And straight away, though, Jesus went to her and he took her by the hand and he lifted her up and instantly you could just tell she was better. And she was back in action, helping as mother-in-laws tend to be. Now, it might seem like a little thing, you know, this little healing might seem like a nothing, especially compared with what Jesus went on to say. But let me tell you, it was beautiful. It was amazing. It, it was just lovely. And it was so great for Simon and his family. But then things heated up again. I mean, the rest of the day is almost a blur. Basically, what happened is that more and more people started to come to the house. It seemed like everyone in Capernaum who was sick or knew someone who was sick or had the mildest problem started coming. People were bringing their friends and their family. People were at demons. All the demons came. It was full on. And it was like the whole town was gathered on the doorstep. And it's not a big doorstep. And Jesus just was healing them, one after the other. It, it was incredible. It was exhausting. And I wasn't even doing anything. The demons, it's a funny thing, the demons always seem to know things about Jesus that everyone else didn't. Now, but Jesus then always commanded them not to speak, to keep silent. At the time, we were a bit confused about what was going on here. Actually, we were pretty much confused about everything. But, you know, this was a bit weird. 
But looking back on it, I think I've come to understand it a bit better. You see, all the way through, Jesus had to battle people's misunderstandings of who he was and what he went and what he meant right up to the end. As time went on, you see, we all started to think we had it sorted. We all started to think we knew the answers. Ah, he's the Messiah. But we just had it so wrong. He was the Messiah, but not at all in the way we thought he would be. And so I think what Jesus wanted to do was to just avoid these misunderstandings from the beginning. Because looking back on how badly wrong we ended up getting it, I reckon if it had all come out at this early stage, you know, we just would have stuffed it up. Well, that was how the day ended with these healings. It drifted on into the night, of course, but, you know, eventually things wound up, people left, we just had to kind of shut up shop. I mean, you've got to keep living. We went to bed. When we woke up in the morning, Jesus wasn't there. That was not great because people were already lining up very early. They were coming, they were back, and we thought, it's more of the same. Where is he? So we went out. We, we had to look for him. That wasn't easy either. Uh, but eventually, it dawned on us, maybe he's just gone to get some space. Maybe he's outside the city, and we were right. We went out to the city, and, and we found him. He was just in nowhere in particular, somewhere he could be on his own. We found him praying. Now, I just want to pause on that because it's one of the things people sometimes forget about Jesus, that he prayed, but he did pray a lot. It was really important to him. This wasn't the only time, actually, that he disappeared in the morning. Anyway, we all told him about the people who were arriving. Everyone's looking for you, we said. They're lining up out the door. There's heaps of them. All the sickos, again. But Jesus said, and it, it surprised us, to be honest, he said, yeah, let's, let's go elsewhere. Let's go to the next villages so that I can preach there as well. And then he said, he added something, like he wanted to really make the point. He said, that is why I have come. To be honest, that was a bit confusing as well. It felt like we'd only just arrived in Capernaum and there was heaps more we could do. Well, that he could do. We really couldn't do anything. Plenty more sick people turning up, you know? And it was my home. I, I, I didn't really want to leave it that quickly. But there was something in the way Jesus spoke and there's something in his look that just said he'd made a decision that morning. And so we didn't argue. We quickly went back and we packed some stuff as quietly as we could and we set off for Galilee and actually for the rest of my life. Well, that's my story. That's how it all kicked off. I wonder what you make of it. I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if some of you are not that impressed. Some of you probably think I'm just a crazy rustic who was impressed by this charismatic guy who could pull some stunts. I mean, plenty of people in my day wrote us off that way as well. But you guys have so much more reason to feel like this, don't you? Because, of course, you're so much more advanced than we are. You've moved past things like miracles and healings and demons. These kinds of things are a bit embarrassing nowadays, aren't they? And so, frankly, what Jesus has to offer, well, it's not that necessary. Being freed of demons and healed of diseases, 
We've got hospitals and drugs now. And they seem to be able to handle most problems. Well, maybe. Let me say, if you'd been there, I don't think you'd feel like that. But, yes, at one level, I'm sure your culture is very different to mine. Different world, different time, why shouldn't it be a bit different? Let me say, though, you're crazy if you think that means that what Jesus did in my day wasn't impressive. I mean, can you cure someone of a fever just by lifting them up? And just forgetting about demons for a moment and, you know, bringing it into a world that you're more familiar with. I mean, can you heal somebody's, say, mental illness or addiction just with a word? Can anyone you know do that? Don't be too dazzled by your technology. Jesus did things that were amazing in any age. But let me say also that I bet things aren't as different as they seem. I mean, don't kid yourself. I bet you're just as in need of someone who can speak with authority as we were. Maybe even more so, your culture, I'm told, is just full of words and ideas and opinions. You've got them coming out your ears. They're everywhere. They're they're in your lives at every moment. Anyone can publish. Anyone can speak. Anyone can have their voice heard. I bet you're bombarded with words and ideas and opinions all the time, and you're desperate, actually. Desperate for someone who can speak words that are just clearly true. Speak with authority. Well, that's what we heard when Jesus spoke to us. He spoke with authority, not like the others, not like the scribes. Maybe you need that kind of thing more than you think you do. And I bet you're just as in need of someone who can release people from evil and heal people from sickness as we were. But maybe you just don't know it. Maybe you've found ways and and developed systems that mean that sickness and death are kind of out of the public eye. So you don't come face to face with it very much. And maybe you've found ways to believe that the things that destroy people's lives, the obsessions and addictions and destructive habits, the things that drive people into the ground and bring them to despair, they have nothing to do with evil. They're just conditions, unfortunate situations, difficult circumstances. Well, you tell me when you find a way to fix it all. I'll tell you what I saw. This man could deliver people from their worst nightmares by giving an order. When you find anyone or anything else that can do that, tell me about it. But I wonder as well whether there's something for you all to learn here. The same lesson that I learned, that we learned that incredible day in Capernaum. Let me put it like this. Do you find Jesus a bit difficult here, a bit weird, a bit confronting, a bit disorienting? Does he not do what you want him to do? Well, get used to it. That's what he was like. See, what we learned that day, what got drilled into us is that we don't get Jesus on our own terms. 
He didn't do exactly what we wanted or what we thought he should do. I mean, you think this stuff wasn't weird for us? It was freaky. You think we didn't have questions for Jesus about what he was doing? Of course we did. But guess what? Jesus doesn't always do what you want him to do. He hasn't, he, he wasn't, he wasn't what we expected. And he kept us guessing and trying to work out what was going on and it was scary and exciting and confusing all at the same time and it forced us to rethink our whole worlds. Why do you expect anything different from Jesus? You don't get Jesus on your own terms. You don't get to control him when you're his disciple. You You just get to follow him. He has his own agenda, his own plan. He calls the shots. Come follow me, he said to us. I will make you fishers of men. We didn't get to negotiate that. We didn't get a say in what that involved. We just got to trust him and go on the roller coaster. I guess I hope that will be an encouragement to you if you're here and you're kind of struggling at the moment to understand why God is doing what he's doing in your life. If you're confused and can't see why things are happening and what's going on, please don't feel like that means Jesus has forgotten you or given up on you or something. No way. That's just how it is with Jesus some of the time. And all I can say is keep your eyes fixed on him. Keep looking at him and remembering him and that he is worth trusting because that's what being a Christian looks like. You don't get to be in control and have everything sorted out and understand everything and have everything predictable. You just get to be with this man, this incredible man, and follow where he takes you. And that leads me to the last thing I want to say, which is important for all of us, actually, me included. And that's just to point out that the main thing that Jesus did on that day, the main point of what he was on about, was not that we think about demons or what he can offer us in terms of healings, but that we pay attention to his message. I say this because I reckon you guys are just the same as us on this point. I mean, words are one thing, but deeds are another. Deeds, acts, we can pay attention to them. It's so easy for us to be impressed by people who can do things. That's what happened on that day. Everyone was drawn to what Jesus was doing, what he could do for them. Everyone was looking for him, but what Jesus wanted even more than that was for people to pay attention to what he said. That's why he said, let's keep moving. That's why he said, I want to preach. He said, because that's what I've come to do. It jolted us, that, like it probably jolts you. But it helped us see that that was the main thing that mattered. The healings and the casting out of the demons, they weren't the main game. The main thing was the message. And so let me finish. Let me finish, friends, by imploring you to pay attention to the message. If you think anything of what Jesus did was impressive, if you're at all convinced that something special was happening here and you'd be crazy not to be, right? Then for goodness sake, pay attention to what he said. 
because you guys are really in just the same position as people in my day were. Most of the people there, they, they, they heard Jesus speak, they, saw, they, they met him briefly, they saw him do some incredible things, and then he went. And all they were left with was his words. The kingdom of God is near. The time is fulfilled. Repent and believe the good news. Now that's a message with, as I said, with special power for us Jews. But it's not just a message for Israel. It's a message for you. So let me translate it a little. It means at least as much as this. There really is a God. And he really does stuff in the world. And he has done something incredible in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Something that means there is life and hope for the world. And therefore, the most important thing for each one of us is how we respond to that. You know, eventually all of us have to decide one way or another what we think life is all about. And most of the time, we do so because we trust someone or something. Let me finish by saying, why not trust Jesus on these questions about God and the meaning of life? Why not trust Jesus? Do you know anyone else who seems to know what they're talking about better than he does when it comes to these kind of things? As I've said, it's a bumpy ride following Jesus, but I've never regretted it, and I reckon you won't either. Thanks for having me.